Okay, so uh, if you have a Bible, if you could turn um, to Matthew 5, just a few verses there I want to use just as to uh, uh, kick us off, and, um, and then we'll sort of uh, run through what we're going to do. Um, as I said last week, we're hoping to get a few people to uh, share uh, today about various things that they're involved in. Um, but I just want to kick off with a little bit of um, from the Word of God. So Matthew 5, just a few verses I want to read through there. Uh, from verse 14, Jesus is speaking. He's part of the Sermon on the Mount, what's known as the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, he says this, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Um, I love the theme of uh, God using ordinary people to somehow display his glory. And Jesus is saying right there that he's talking to the crowds, he's talking to his disciples, and he's saying that you're the light of the world. I want to shine glory through you. So I I love that. I love the fact. And I guess the reason I love the fact is because the fact God uses extraordinary people to become extraordinary is because I know I'm ordinary. And therefore, if God loves to do that, I think, wow, I can be part of God's story. And that's true about all of us. And um, that's what I love. So today I want to talk about ordinary people with extraordinary influence. All right. And um, we finished our series in Nehemiah. And uh, Nehemiah is the story of one man, an ordinary man, Uh, with a vision who made an extraordinary difference. And he has a vision to rebuild Jerusalem. We've been looking over the last five or six weeks about that because he understood God's purpose. He understood that it was not all about his own agenda and him just getting on with his little life. He suddenly realized, I'm part of God's story. I'm ordinary, but I can be used and be an extraordinary influence. I can be part of God's story. And he understood that. However, by the end of the book, and we didn't quite get to the end of the book, uh, but at the end of the book, although the walls are up, the city is occupied, there seems to be something missing. And uh, Matt alluded to that last week, really. And um, I'll I'll get to that. What's missing in this city? Um, But Nehemiah was caught up in God's story. He was caught up in a greater thing. Uh, He'd had extraordinary promises. He was part of God's people. You know, years earlier, uh, Abraham had heard God talk to him. And and Abraham, before he even had any children, God said to him, I will bless you. You will be a blessing. And all people on earth will be blessed through you. That's an extraordinary promise for an ordinary guy. That's the sort of thing that when you receive that promise, you can't do much actually to fulfill that. You've just got to wait for God to move on your life and bring it about. But God says, no, you know, I really, I want to bless you. I know I want to bless you. I don't just want to bless your whanau, but through your whanau, I want to bless all peoples of the earth. I want you to impact and bring blessing wherever you go. 
And the amazing, that's the amazing thing about God, eh? He loves to bless ordinary people. But then as his blessing rests on ordinary people, he intends that his blessing spills out and other people get blessed in the process. And so God said to Abraham, I want you and your people to be good news. I want you to be an influence. I want you to be something that uh, people can look on and they feel the influence of God's rule coming on them. I want them to feel the blessing. Now, over the centuries, as we know, uh, the people of Israel went up and down. They had their ups and downs. Sometimes they seemed to grasp what was God was saying to them, and other times they went way off track. And God raised up individuals with a heart and a vision who understood God's purpose, that there's a bigger picture than just being caught up with their own agenda. And so you get the likes of Moses, uh, closely followed by Joshua. You know, these guys, they led the people of Israel, the descendants of Abraham, led them into the promised land. They understood God wanted them to take the land, but also be a blessing for the nations around and to bring God's influence. And Moses, you know, God laid on his heart to uh, build the tabernacle because he said, well, if we're going to be a people of influence, we've got to have the presence of God among us. And so he built the tabernacle. And we know when the tabernacle was complete, the cloud of God, the glory of God filled the tabernacle. And what you read is that the nations around heard about it and there was this sense of awe that God was in the house. God was among the people. So he built the tabernacle, God's glory came and filled it, and the people feared God. Roll on a few centuries, you get David and Solomon, his son. Again, two leaders who God got hold of, who understood the purpose of God. And first of all, you know, David made Jerusalem the capital, and, uh, and he saw that that Israel were meant to be a leading nation among other nations. And he said, well, if we get the capital right, and if we build a temple in the capital and we have God's presence in the midst, then we will be able to bring God's rule and God's influence wherever we are. We're not just going to be a nice little city by ourselves with God in the midst. He says, no, I understand that God wants to shine his glory from us and influence the nation and influence the nations beyond us because David understood the promise to Abraham. And so all these guys, they understood God blessed Abraham, intended to bless Abraham. I'm in the stream of that promise too. God intends to bless me. And so David has this heart to see God brought into Jerusalem, brings the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem. And then uh, Solomon, his son, builds the temple. And again, as the temple is built, we read that the glory of God fills the temple. You remember the story where smoke or a cloud fills the temple? Such is the intensity of the glory of God. It was an amazing moment in the history of Israel. Now, each of these leaders understood this one thing. They understood if they were to be an influence and a people that were going to bring influence, they must have God right in the midst. That's why Moses built a tabernacle, so that God could come and be there, so that they would become a people of influence. That's why Solomon built the temple, because they wanted God to be in the house so that they would rise to become the people that God wanted them to be. They had this real sense of calling on them. 
But despite these leaders, and there were other godly leaders through the generations, despite that, over the years, Israel kept going off of the rails, kept coming back again, then going off the rails again. And that's where our story about Nehemiah and uh, the guy who worked closely uh, just before him, Ezra, they came onto the scene. They understood the prophetic call of God. They understood that Israel was meant to be an example to the nations. They understood they were the people of God. And so Ezra, God gives him a vision to rebuild the temple. He gathers a team, and they come and they rebuild the temple. And we read in Ezra 6 verse 15, so the temple was complete. Then Nehemiah is the other guy. God puts on his heart to rebuild Jerusalem, and we've seen how the walls go up in Jerusalem. And he gathers people to be involved in it, and that's all very awesome. And then in Nehemiah 6, verse 15, we read, So the wall was complete. So you've got, in Israel, you've got a completed temple, and in Nehemiah, you've got completed walls. But as I'm sort of thinking about this, I'm thinking, something's missing. Something's missing in in these books. Something never really gets complete. You've got walls up. Jerusalem is now a city. You've got a temple rebuilt in Jerusalem. What's missing? I tell you, it's this. Where's the presence and glory of God? When Solomon built his temple, glory filled it. When Moses built the tabernacle... Glory came and filled it. When Israel completes the temple, we don't read anything about God's majesty and glory coming and filling the temple. The other question I've got, what's missing? Where's the king? Before you had King David, King Solomon, and other kings and queens ruling, bringing God's righteousness. When they rebuild the city, where's the king? The king's missing. There's no mention of the king. You don't get a king coming and reigning and then bringing the kingdom of God. And so I ask the question, where's the glory that God intended to happen? There's a temple, there's a a city, but where's the influence that comes from the city of godly influence that affects nations? It looks like it's missing. You see, God was wanting to do something new. He was wanting to have new wineskins. He wasn't going to any longer be involved in just bricks and mortar type buildings. God was doing a new thing. He was about bringing his extraordinary kingdom. And so you get prophets like Isaiah and Ezekiel uh, and others. They prophesy, actually, there's going to be a greater temple. There's going to be a greater glory. There's going to be a greater kingdom coming. There's going to be a greater king coming. There's a greater city coming. They prophesy all these things. They're saying God's promising to send his spirit so that it's no longer going to be just people trying to keep rules and uh, just following a sort of religion of do's and don'ts. God says, no, I'm going to put my spirit in people and change their hearts. And God was saying, I'm going to have a new, type, a new style of religion. It's called faith. It's called a living relationship with God. It's called being spirit-filled. And God promised that through um, the prophets. He also promised he would send a king so that the city wouldn't be empty. 
so that the kingdom could come, the king who would bring the kingdom and kingdom influence around the world. And so, uh, you know, Isaiah, for instance, I mean, we, um, you could read several passages, but Isaiah 61, the passage which talks about the spirit of the Lord being upon me. He's anointed me. What, is, what that passage is saying is that God was going to send a king and the spirit of God was going to be on him. He's talking about Jesus and he said the king is going to bring good news to the poor. It's going to be salvation. He's going to bring salvation with him. He's going to bring peace with him. He's going to bring justice with him. This king is going to bring influence. This king is going to be good news. This king is going to bind up broken-hearted people and bring them comfort. This king is going to set captives free. He's going to release prisoners. This king is going to proclaim the favor of God. The king is going to come again. This king is going to bring good news. You see, God was doing a new thing. And I think that's why you get a sort of a gap in Nehemiah and Israel. You think, well, where's the glory in that? The prophets were going, no, there's a greater glory to come. God's doing a new thing. Jesus is coming, and the king was coming not to man-made temples, but now the king was coming to reign in human hearts. And he was going to come and change our hearts. And he was going to take ordinary people. He was going to fill this sort of temple, this sort of temple. He was going to fill his people and his kingdom rule was coming. And it wasn't going to look like they thought it was going to look. It's not going to be a political system as such. It's not going to be God's rule coming through one nation. Now God's heart was saying, my kingdom is going to come through all peoples. Everyone who knows me from every tribe, every culture, every nation is going to, is going to know, who knows God, everyone is going to come to know God. And through those people, God says, I'm going to bring my kingdom influence. See, God's doing a new thing. And that's what we're caught up into. See, ordinary people, God intends to bring extraordinary influence. And that's you and me. So we read in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 6, we are the temple of the living God. God's Spirit now lives in us. And Jesus, in this passage that we read, says, you are the light of the world. A city or a town on a hill cannot be hidden. Let your light shine. God is calling ordinary people, which means you and me. Turn to the person next to you and say, that's you and me. Yeah, that's it. And don't say any more than that. Just that's all do, all right? So we get to, you see, God is using us. And how does he want to use us? He wants to fill us with the presence of the king. He wants to fill us with the anointing of God. And he wants to bring his rule on earth as it is in heaven through his people. That's what God wants to do. He wants to use us. Hallelujah, which is incredible. His intent is that the church becomes a community of influence, a blessing to those around us. Now, sometimes that's going to look like individuals in their everyday life, whether it's sort of in the workplace or just in their own community, on their street, in their family. It can be individuals bringing that light. It can be individuals bringing that. But also there's a sense in which God's going to be causing communities of people and communities like our community to be standing up and making a difference in this area or that area. God wants to bring influence 
You know, God has, <laughs> God has put this church here not for your blessing. God's called you to be here to be blessed, to be a blessing. That's why we're here. God's called us to be blessed and be a blessing. It's that same promise that God gave to Abraham. So either way, it starts with individuals, men and women who are being stirred uh, to be involved in the bigger picture. And this is where I want to get a few people up to share what they've been doing. These are ordinary people. They're people we know and love. They're people that are part of our church whānau here. And they may have started off very ordinary, very not knowing what they were doing, or God may have given them a very sharp vision. But I just want them to share a little bit about how they are, in their ordinariness, following a sense of call and purpose and bringing godly influence where they are. So if you can welcome uh, Paul and Jenny up first. Can we have Paul and Jenny up? What I love about these guys, and you probably love too, um, is that they hate the limelight. They love just to Absolutely serve quietly. Absolutely the limelight. And so this is, this is their opportunity to share what God's and been using them, and it's phenomenal. Very, very ordinary people um, who just sort of fell into something because we just love doing it. Um, I've written some stuff, but I'll try to stay to it. <laughs> um, about five years ago, um, a group of us from King's Church at the time were going out treasure hunting. If you don't know what treasure hunting is, it's really fun. You get, we get together and we pray and we ask God for clues and then go out and find the clues. It's, it's heaps and heaps of fun, much better than real treasure hunting. Anyway, we were out on a, Tuesday, on a Thursday night down in the Porter Town Centre with this group and Matt Roach, who's not here, but he's amazing and wherever he is, I'm sure he's doing amazing things. Sorry, I've got to stick to this. Um, um, yeah, anyway, we felt um, really drawn to the youth that were hanging out there. Um, at that time, there were canopies down there and a lot of youth would hang out and um, be doing various things. Anyway, so we started um, chatting with them and, and uh, just, you know, starting to build relationships with them. We prayed with them and... Yeah, just talked and, yeah, it was amazing. And I started taking some of them home because I knew them from when I was teaching. So I knew some of the kids and I'd take them home and then I was started to be known as the lady they could find be taken home, which was quite fun too. Um, anyway, uh, over um, time, um, we started to um, draw them into our house um, along with Matt and some uh, people from The Rock. So we had these kids about 20 to... 25 of them meeting in our house regularly. Um, it was fun and chaos, but um, yeah, we were able to give them food and just a real safe place for them to hang out and um, build further relationships with them, get to know them better and, you know, have a chance to really share more about God with them. Um, and over time it's changed and um, people, other people moved on to various things and we became um, focused on a smaller group of the young people who we still meet up with regularly. Um, some of them have become mums and dads and so we meet up with the kids as well and Tuesday night at our house can be um, quite chaos still. Um, and so we've become a bit like parent figures to them and um, sometimes and we're often asked to support them in some pretty um, interesting and challenging situations. 
um, it's just it's just so much fun hanging out with them, and they've enriched our lives as much as hopefully we've enriched theirs. Um, you know, winning their trust took a long time because they've been really hurt by a lot of the adults around in their life and a lot of um, organisations around. So it's been quite challenging to gain their trust. Mm. Yeah. She's spoken most of what I was going to say anyway. <laughs> Sorry. She's spoken most of what I was going to say um, anyway, but um, we've always had a passion for the youth and, and over the years we've been involved in leading youth groups and, and things like that. And inviting this youth, these youth into our home was a real challenge for me. Uh, we believe, but we believe that God wants his people to work beyond the exteriors and the antisocial behaviours and then to see others as he sees them, full of potential and possibilities and made in his likeness. We hope the youth that we have hung out with have seen that we genuinely care for them as they are, even if we don't accept their choices, and that we have been able to show Jesus' love to them, not just in words, but also in actions, and that God will grow this small thing into something eternal for them. One thing we um, really noticed is that sometimes um, you're called to go and meet people in their mess. It's like it can be quite messy and, and quite... But, you know, we're there meeting them in their mess, not trying to judge them, not trying to um, even change them, but just to just be with them and walk alongside them for a while and, and just be able to show love to them, show who Jesus is in a, in a real sense as well as with words. Um, I have to say one of the things that I'm still amazed about is some of the kids we haven't seen for a number of years and I might be walking around the town centre and suddenly a young person who's now much taller and um, older will come and give me a hug in the streets and it's it's quite amazing really to think that even though we might not have seen them and they might have only graced our house a few times, they st still meant enough to them to want to actually say hi to us in the street and give me a hug. Um, yeah. And just in finishing, uh, there was a word of encouragement that's been given to us in, in a few weeks back. And the word of encouragement was, it's not about leaving a legacy, but changing a destiny. And that's really what we've felt we've done for a lot of young people who have come through our home. Uh, we've prayed about every step that, that we've taken on this journey with the youth, and we continue to pray about it and for the youth themselves. And it's been a real privilege that God's given us to be a part of these young people's lives. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. Well done. That's the kingdom of God. Jesus said, what shall I liken the kingdom of God to? He said, well, think about a mustard seed. It's the smallest seed. You hardly notice it. You could lose it very easily, but when it's planted, it becomes one of the largest trees in your garden, and birds come and take shelter in it. And these are just little things, little seeds, and you see God then growing something. And you don't know the massive influence it can have in young people's lives. So well done, guys. It's fantastic. Let's move to another direction um, very different direction, but still the kingdom of God coming, something starting small, but has real potential to see big impact. Let's welcome Jan and Marianne to come up, please. Microphone goes up, tall Dutchman. 
for time's sake, we have written something down as well. Um, glasses. I think the verse that uh, sort of resonates from us from Nehemia is uh, first, uh, chapter 2, verse 1 to 4. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. And I had not been sad in the presence before, so the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This cannot be but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors were buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, What do you want? And I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king, If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah while my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. This couple of verses has been a a train in our life, really. Daniel Kahneman discovered that the memory of an experience is determined how that experience ended. If the experience ends positive, for example, no pain, we are left with a more positive memory of the experience compared to when the experience ends with a painful episode. Our dream, Mary and I, my, uh, our dream, is that elderly and their immediate family have a very positive memory of life when they need to spend the last two years of their life in a nursing home. You might not believe it, but 50% of the people in New Zealand will spend the last years of their life in an aged care facility. And we'd like to see those last years filled with just as much quality and joy as the many lives before. We know this is currently not always the case. Stories in newspapers about suboptimal care, abuse, malpractice are becoming routine news. The question is if only reporting on what's going wrong will ultimately improve the situation. We do not believe so. What we need is a positive and innovative approach that provides those that are changed that are in charge of aged care facilities with knowledge and experience that show how things could be done differently. So Mary and I took up the challenge which we believe God has put in front of us to contribute to change this situation. And our, one of our initiatives is to build a bridge between the Netherlands and New Zealand that accommodates the exchange of professional knowledge, experience and new developed models of care. So how did we start building that bridge? Well, the first thing is that we realize that God has prepared us with unique gifts and professional work experience in the last 62 years. So, we started to organize the healthcare study tours to the Netherlands. During these tours, we visit facilities and organizations that all focus on improving the care for our elderly. We come across some great examples of innovative varying from complex to very simple. For example, we came across a facility that cares for people with dementia. They found that the residents had difficulty with finding their own room, as all the doors were the same color. So what did they do to make it easier to, for the residents to find their room? They took a picture of the front door of the resident's own house, where they lived all those many years, and wallpapered it over the existing door. Wow. Problem solved. Wow. Costs minimal. These are many more of these, there are many more of these examples that we need to be aware of. 
So far, we had 60 New Zealand healthcare professionals taking part in the tours. Each tour was a great success in, the, in that, that the participants were challenged to think outside their box of what they believed was possible or not. We look forward to bring many more New Zealand healthcare professionals across the to the Netherlands. It is our contribution to rebuild the broken wall that is in front of our house of restoring the best possible care to our elderly where needed. There are many more initiatives happening as well. Ultimately, we all stand on the shoulders of the elderly in our society as they prepare the current quality of life we are able to enjoy on a day-to-day -day basis. As Mary and I are part of this church, we feel that we are in this together. Over the past years, we had great support from people from this church. And we are happy to be the front runners. But we need your words of wisdom, insight, and prayers to support the job allocated to us. And we look forward to building this bridge that will contribute to a positive end of life experience for many people. Wow. Wow. Bring it, Lord. Bring it on. We want to see the kingdom of God advance in every avenue of society. And these are just little snapshots, little um, things. Now, I'd love John and Chris. They're not here today, but John and Chris have been involved in something down in town, uh, down, downtown community ministry. Uh, John's been involved for three years. And uh, basically, when they came back to New Zealand, they had a vision to work with the disadvantaged and those who... And, and, and John's a dentist, he's he just retired from that, but he's just involved in this ministry now. And he says he wanted to use his skills to give dental care to poor and the damaged people. And so he came across uh, DSM, uh, Downtown Community Ministry. Uh, they had an unused um, dental surgery, which was in a state of disrepair. So John then invested in that and got that into a surgery up and running. And so uh, the last two and a half years... Uh, it has been opened and running and helping the poorest of the poor in our capital city. And uh, apparently the, the latest figures of this is since this has started, there have been 18 um, practicing dentists involved volunteering their time into this community outreach. And there have been 144 sessions, clinics run, and 332 different patients met. Now, last year... As a church, we also contributed 10,000. You remember from one of our gift days, 10,000 towards the DSM. They were able to purchase a van to help another one of their ministries, a food bank, food bank ministries. So what uh, DSM do is much more than what uh, John and Christine are able to do, which is phenomenal, but they're also able to connect people with other services, social workers, uh, whether it's uh, mental health nurses, financial guidance, etc., etc., and shelter. So that's another thing. Um, the last person I'd love to share is, um, and I'm so glad Lee was able to make it today, but Lee, if you could come up. I know Lee and Tash has been involved in, in several things, and I'd love Lee to, to share quickly some of what he's been involved in. Everyone, this is my little sidekick here, my little shadow for the last couple of weeks. Um, so, uh, very quickly, I currently run my own business called Empower Training, and in a nutshell, what it 
consists of is one-on-one -on -one personal training, group training, and then there's also a youth and social work aspect. So we're working with the, the justice system and contract our services out to other youth providers and youth organisations. Um, the heart of it really is, I guess if you put it in secular terms, it's to help to kind of extract and expose uh, people's potential that they have. But if you put it in kingdom words, really it's just exposing their created value and who God's created them to be and called them to be. And so what that might look like in practical sense, um, in the gyms, for example, um, often I'll be praying for people in the gyms who've been sore or have injuries and whatnot. Just recently I had an old client come back and um, she had injured or ruptured an ankle uh, through hockey. Um, got to pray for her and actually recorded it and she got to take off the moon boot and bend her leg for the first time in two weeks and her, and her uh, physio couldn't even get that done. So that was cool, uh, <laughs> just to kind of show that side of it and man, plenty of testimonies in, in that aspect too. Um, through the youth work, many times it's just you're just speaking words of life. But a lot of young people, um, especially the at risk or uh, through the justice system, have never been praised or encouraged in their life. And so to just to speak little words like that, um, very, very, very impacting for them and can uh, change a lot of their course and where they're going. Um, when it comes to meeting with other businesses or organisations or even governmental sectors that uh, we've been working with recently, um, it may not be uh, me coming guns blazing, hey, I'm a Christian, I got the solution, I can fix all your needs. No, instead it's more I may just say, uh, you know, a part of what we provide is not just physical, mental, but it's spiritual. I may pop the faith aspect in there, or I might just really at the end say, God bless you. So sometimes it's not always in your face, but one thing is uh, I never shy away from it. Um, people often know, in fact, nearly everybody would know that I work with, that we work with, they find it one way or another that we're Christian. And so do you have to be special to shine your light in that aspect and show Jesus? Not at all. Do you have to be extroverted? Do you have to be boisterous, outgoing? Not at all. In fact, I would class myself in the opposite. But when you know your identity, when you know who you are and whose you are, it's very easy and natural yeah. to do that. Uh, Proverbs 28 one says, the righteous are as bold as a lion. If there's a lack of boldness, and boldness again doesn't mean boisterous, but if there's a lack of boldness, it's because we haven't discerned our righteousness yet, our identity. So when you know who you are, when you understand who who he is to you and who he says about you and then about people around you, yeah. it's organic to want to share that to others around you. Yeah. And so I'm not a I'm not a Christian personal trainer. I'm a personal trainer who happens to be a Christian. I'm not a Christian youth worker. I'm a youth worker who happens to be Christian. I don't believe the world needs more Christian youth workers or Christian PTs or teachers or whatever it might be. What I think the world needs is more workers who have their Christianity intact. They know mm. who they are, and they're not afraid to just show that and shine that. And so ultimately, I think it comes down to is um, shining who you are. And they, that may be by little things like integrity in your work, being very honest, doing it at a high standard with quality. Again, you don't have to throw Jesus in there all the time. But if you're shining who he is and if... He's the desire of the nations, then they're going to see that in you, then they're going to desire that. It's very, very um, simple in that aspect. And so uh, all it comes down to really, in a nutshell, for myself and the way that it's worked, is knowing who I am. And when I know who I am, it's natural to shine that. And people are attracted to that, and the kingdom grows, and it's really cool. Fantastic. Thanks. Awesome. Thanks, mate. Thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I'm just conscious of how time is. Could we just stand now? I think there's a sense of, it's just wonderful to hear these things. These are kingdom initiatives. Jesus said on another day, what, what can I compare the kingdom to? How can I get you to understand what the kingdom is? He said, well, think about yeast. Think about dough without yeast, and then you add yeast to the dough, and you work it until yeast gets through the whole thing and brings effect. 
And God is calling us through different initiatives. These are just snapshots. These are little examples of what God can do when the yeast gets through the dough. And we're called as a church to put yeast into our culture, to influence wherever we are. And that may look like little old you, little old me doing our little bit, or it can be some bigger initiatives. So as we close, I just want to throw this sort of thing out. What is, is God, is God stirring something in you? Is there some, is there a dream that you thought, I think God's calling me to be involved in something? Uh, maybe you've received a prophetic word and you just are sort of like, you've sat on it. I want to stir that again and encourage you to look, pray into it, maybe make some steps towards stepping out and doing it. Or maybe God may be putting on your heart, I think we should be going for this and maybe we need a bit of the community of the church to be behind this. And maybe you're called to be one of these leader influences that can uh, sort of bring something. I'm not talking about let's get all our ideas out there. I'm talking about what's God putting on our hearts. Is there something something that we're called to be and do as a people? I love the way Lee said it. it comes out of who we are. We're not trying to be anybody. We're saying, no, what you've done in us and what you've put in us is God calling us to do stuff. So uh, can we just pray? And uh, just keep your heart open. Let's open our hearts to God. Father, we thank you that you call ordinary people, people who don't have to be extroverted, people who don't have to feel any good. We thank you the Bible's full of people who had all sorts of shortfalls, and yet you were able to use them for mighty things. And Father, we present ourselves to you now and say, would you use us as your community in this area? Would you use us to be a blessing to Porirua? Would you use these initiatives that, can, that we've shared today to affect young people's lives here, to affect the poor in our region? Would you help... Father, these initiatives of, of bringing health care to the elderly and changing the way we do things in this nation. Father, would you bring godly influence through us, your people, in Jesus' name. And would you stir initiatives, kingdom initiatives, that are all for your glory. It's all to get your glory out there. Jesus, is always, it's always to bring your rule and your comfort and your healing, your deliverance, your justice into society. We pray, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Father, we're just saying, use us as part of your people across the earth. Use us as one of the churches, part of your church in Porirua, to bring your glory in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.